So by now, hopefully you've been able to um, be here on a weekend or listen back to podcasts, those things, and, and you know that the prophetic word, the, the theme for 2018, something that we ask God every year for, what, what do you want to focus on this year? And in 2018, that prophetic word or that theme is a firm foundation, a firm foundation. And we really believe that God wants to inspect our faith all the way down to its foundations and make sure that it's firm. And we will talk more about that as we go tonight. But let me go ahead and give you this whole sermon in one sentence. And that's this, a firm foundation without fresh revelation will never bear the fruit of transformation. Let me say it again. A firm foundation without fresh revelation will never bear the fruit of transformation. Y para mis amigos que hablan español. You guys know we have, we have quite a few people in our congregation that speak Spanish, and I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to learn how to speak Spanish in 2018, so you are bearing with me, right? You're like, right in 1 Corinthians 13, love bears all things. That's one of the, bears all things. We're bearing Pastor Tony. So, una base firma sin nueva revelación nunca dará el fruta de la transformación. So guys, it's common knowledge that any structure, now hear me, any structure will only be as sound. It'll only be as strong as its foundation. And I'm talking about any structure, obviously a house or a building. That's the first thing that maybe we think of when we think of this principle, but I'm talking about any structure. If you're a business owner, guess what? Your business is in a sense a structure and it's only going to be as strong as what it's built on. Marriage is a structure. If you want a strong marriage, if you're married now and you want a strong marriage, you, you plan on getting married one of these days, guess what? If you want a strong marriage, then you have got to take it all the way down to its foundation. It starts with the foundation, the dream that you have for your life. I was thinking about this this week. The dream that you have for your life, whatever that may be, is a structure. And if you want that dream to come to pass, don't neglect the foundational things that are necessary for your particular dream to be built on. Does that make sense? Even your dream is a structure that demands that the foundation be firm. Now, as I was kind of thinking about that this week, that just about anything is a structure, I started thinking about Spencer. So I'm going to ask Spencer to come up. Spencer has a unique gift, a unique talent, and it's called juggling. In fact, if you want a sermon, a title for the sermon, you can write, um, you can write juggling with Jesus. Okay, so juggling with Jesus. I'm, I'm going to move out of your way because this could get dangerous. The thing about Spencer is that he can juggle just about anything. I've seen him do it. I've seen him do it. You guys watching him? Oh, he's showing off now. Uh-huh. But listen, to juggle anything, he had to start out with one thing. Can I have one of these? Can I rob you? All right. To juggle anything, he had to start out with one thing. Now, some of my boys have, have um, started learning how to juggle, and this was the first thing they said to do, to do this until you can't stand anymore, to do this, and then maybe switch to the other hand, and then to do this, back and forth, to do it so many times 
over and over. Start with one thing and then eventually add two. You guys hear what I'm saying? And then three and then so on and so on and so on. And this is what Spencer had to do to build a foundation for what you guys are watching him do now. Okay, and he's using this hacky sack, kind of a ball hacky sack thing. Now listen, every time he adds a ball, here's another one. Every time he adds a ball, (laughs) he engages the foundational things that he started with. Every time he adds another one, he's thinking about it. Maybe he's not thinking about it at the forefront of his mind, but he is adding, he is working off of that foundation thing that he's starting with, even when he drops it and makes my sermon look bad. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) So listen, pretty soon, pretty soon, he has mastered juggling multiple simple items at one time, and it's just part of him. Look at him, he's barely even thinking. I mean, the guy is up there. I know what he's thinking. He's like, man, I just messed up. You know. But as far as the foundational things, he's not thinking about those. But listen to me. Spencer, I know him, I know this to be true, was never satisfied with only juggling little, you know, hacky sack things, bags. Right? That's true, right? Go grab something else. Spencer had the desire to juggle more complicated objects. And he also had the the dedication within him to go on to harder things. I hope you guys are hearing me. Okay, but listen, when he picks up something new, let me see that. I'm going to show him my skill. When he picks up that new, different, more complicated, harder thing, guess what he has to do? He has to go back to the foundation. One hand. He's got to learn what this thing... Y'all look at me. I'm a professional. He's got to know, what does this feel like in my hand? What, what is the weight of this thing? What does this look like? What does this feel like? So even though he's gone on to harder, more complicated things, guess what? He is applying. He is so awesome. You know, he is applying. <laughs> he is applying that foundational thing, the very thing that he started with. I'm going to give you one. I'm just going to throw it over there. You deal with it, man. <laughs> Now listen, the same principles, the same principles that he started with here, he has to get one. What does this feel like? And then he'll do two. And then eventually he can add three and four and so on and so on. And what he's not doing is he's not laying again a foundation. You guys understand that? When he starts with a new, harder object, you can go go get the other thing. He's not laying again. (laughs) This is going to be a chainsaw. No, it's not. It's little round things. <laughs> He's working up the chainsaw. <laughs> what he's not doing is he's not laying a foundation again. Okay? He's not laying again a foundation. What he's doing is he's applying a foundational principle that he already has down solid to juggle something that he's never juggled before. You guys see that? So when he starts over with one, let me see that. I don't even know if I can do it with this thing. Do you, you know what I mean? So he's starting. Is that how you do that? Oh, you do it like this. Whatever. So he has, it's the same thing. What does this feel like? What does this feel like? So he's not, he's not um, leaving the elementary teaching or the elementary foundation of what it is behind what he's doing is he's just not having to lay a hold of it again. I can't even deal with one. Thank you. You guys picking up what I'm laying down? He doesn't have to start back at the foundations. 
Now, if he doesn't start back at the foundation, he just starts doing that right away, he might eventually get it. I don't know if that's true or not, Spencer. He might eventually get it if he doesn't do that. But listen, somebody could get hurt. You know what I mean? If he does, I mean, he starts throwing up swords or chainsaws. If he doesn't start with one, somebody's going to get hurt. Somebody's going to get hurt if he does start with one, you know? Spencer, thank you, man. You can sit down. Oh, my goodness. Hey, let me see one of your little, your little uh, ball there. Take his axe. And here's something even more interesting, man. Just think about this. Hopefully, you're, again, you're picking up what I'm laying down. Even when someone comes to Spencer and says, man, teach me how to do that. Spencer says yes, because he's a super nice guy. And guess what he has them do? And guess what? He'll probably stand there with them doing So even whenever he has to teach someone, he has to refer back to. He doesn't need to do this. The only need for it in that moment is to show, to model what it looks like for someone else to start with the same foundation that he himself started with. You guys hear what I'm saying? This is true. I gave um, guitar lessons. Here you go, Spencer. I gave guitar lessons for years and years and years, and then there'd be seasons where I didn't. Here's what I noticed. In the seasons when I gave lessons... I was a much better guitar player than in the seasons when I didn't give lessons. So you guys are, are, are picking up what I'm laying down for sure. Listen, this is one of the best examples I can think of, of Hebrews chapter 6. Can you put that up there? It tells us to move on from the elementary teachings about Christ and press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation. Now, what Paul isn't telling us is to never juggle The simple things of the gospel. That's not what he's saying. Of course not, because those are the basic hacky sack things that we need when we're going to lead an unbeliever to Jesus or when we're going to disciple a new believer in the faith. I feel you, sister, brother. It's bald, so I can't tell. Looks like it might be a boy. So he's not saying leave the elementary teachings of of Jesus behind that, like you're never going to refer to them again. Of course you are. There's going to be times when you're referring to them. We just don't have to personally lay them again in our lives because we already have them laid. So when we lead someone to the Lord or when we teach a new believer about Jesus, we are referring back to them. We're not leaving them behind. We just don't have to lay them again. What Paul is saying is that it's very important that we have the desire and the dedication to juggle more in our faith. Do you guys hear what I'm saying? He said, you need to have, you need to move on to maturity. You need to press on to maturity. Have the desire and the dedication within you to handle more hacky sacks or something different in your faith, something more complicated, something that is not just a foundational thing. He's telling us that it's important that we are as prepared as possible for when the time comes for us to move on to those things of maturity. And he's telling us that it's important to know when, where, and how, listen to me, to circle back around to the basics. Everybody say circle back around. That's an important phrase for tonight. I want you to look at Matthew 16. We're going to be in a few places tonight, two in particular, and then jumping around a little bit. And the references are are going to be up there. The ones that are bold underneath, those are the two main places we will be, so you can see that. But in Matthew chapter 16, it says that from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go 
to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and from the priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third, uh, the third day. Okay, so I'm kind of starting a little bit low right here. I'm, I'm working backwards to a degree. He says, we must, I must suffer many things. I'm going to be killed and I'm going to be raised up on the third day. This the religious leaders that are going to do it. We all know these things as foundational things. Those things that he's laying out to his disciples that day, we know them. We can look back on them and say, these are foundational things that Jesus never sinned, but he suffered for the sake of our uh, sin. We know that Jesus' death brought forgiveness of sin, right? We know that because Jesus rose from the grave victorious over uh, death, that we now have the power within us because of the Holy Spirit within us to um, have victory over sin, death, and the grave. These are foundational things to us, but Peter didn't know all that. The other disciples didn't know that. That's why in verse 22, when Jesus said that, Peter takes Jesus aside and begins to rebuke him. Saying, God forbid it, these things shall never happen to you, which proves the need for the preparatory conversation that Jesus had with his disciples right before he said this. Right before he says, I've got to suffer, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise again. It's the religious leaders who are going to do this to me. Right before he says this, he has a preparatory conversation. I want us to look at that. Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. It says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples. So they're walking along, entering into Caesarea Philippi. And he just kind of out of the blue says, who do the people say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist and others, Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. If you think about it, it's kind of a strange answer, but Especially John the Baptist, for them to say John the Baptist, because John the Baptist had just been beheaded, like, not too long before. So to say that he's John the Baptist was kind of a a weird thing. But see, the religious leaders of that day, the the scribes, the Pharisees, even some of the uh, Levitical priesthood in, in the temple had adopted a Greek philosophical idea called metempsychosis. What that is, is the transmigration of the soul. That's, that's what that, in essence, means. It's the idea that when a person dies, his or her soul is transferred into another body. It's very similar to, um, what do they call that, reincarnation. It's not quite the same, but it's along the same lines. And, uh, lines. and obviously, we know that all that's a bunch of bull. It's a bunch of baloney, and none of that's true. But this is what the people had been taught by the religious, uh, religious leaders of the day. And they had been taught that for so long that they had made this strong connection of Jesus to these other mighty men of God from the past. Like you know, maybe, he's, maybe it's Jesus is, is Jeremiah, which wouldn't have been bad. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. Jeremiah is known as the prophet that was most like the character and nature of Christ than all the other prophets. When they were talking about Elijah, well, maybe he's, um, uh, maybe he's Elijah. There's actually a scripture that all those people would have known. And in that chapter, it says, see, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes, which is obviously not a reference to metempsychosis, but just that the Jewish Messiah would come in the same uh, attitude, the same passion, the same spirit as Elijah. You guys see what I'm saying? But I want you to think about it. Maybe he is uh, Jeremiah. 
Or maybe he's Elijah. Or maybe he's one of the other prophets. For them to say that, man, it really kind of shows us that they had some sort of foundation. That they had some level of faith. And that faith was built on some sort of foundation, which led to certain expectations. That's why they were asking so much about who Jesus was. And Jesus knew what they had been talking about. He knew the conversations that they were having. He knew what they were pondering in their heart about who he was. If you look at John chapter 7, there's a whole section called division over who Jesus is. And you can see some of the arguments that people were having about who Jesus was. And Jesus knew that the crazy conclusions that people were coming to about who he is would never allow these people to juggle the greater ideas of the gospel. And so he says, well, who do you say that I am? He's walking with his disciples. Who do, who do the people say that I am? Well, Elijah, one of the prophets, Jeremiah, John the Baptist. Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered. He said, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And I want you to listen. There's no exclamation point behind that answer. I know a lot of times I've, I've taught this section as though there were. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. You know, like there's an exclamation point. But, I, but actually, there's not an exclamation point there. In fact, the Mark and Luke account of this story Um, It doesn't even contain son of the living God. It just says, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. These guys already knew who Jesus was. They already believed, especially Peter. In fact, you might remember that scene in John chapter 1 where Andrew, it says that Andrew found his own brother, Simon, Peter, and said to him, we have found the Messiah. That's what he came up to his brothers one day and said, we found the Messiah. And so he brought Simon to Jesus, Jesus looked at him and said, hey, you're Simon, the son of John. Peter's like, what? Then he says, but now you will be called Kepha, which translates Peter. It was the day that Jesus changed his name, but it's also the day that he figured out Jesus was or learned that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was the Christ. And then three days later at the wedding of Cana, what do we see that Peter would have literally seen Jesus do? Turn water into wine. And it goes on at the end of that chapter to say that that was the beginning of all the signs, the displays of his glory. And it says that his disciples believed in him. My point is that Peter and the boys already had a pretty strong foundation. They had seen a lot. They had heard a lot. And by this time, they had even said and done some pretty great things themselves. These guys had a strong foundation, but Jesus was about to put something else in their hand. I I need you to get this and connect this with Spencer's juggling. Jesus was about to put something else in their hand. He was about to have them juggle something that had the potential to hurt them. I'm going to suffer many things. I'm going to die And so Jesus circled back around to the basics. Who do you say that I am? Who who do you say that I am? We need to get this right because I'm about to talk about something. You're about to juggle something you've never juggled before. And I need you to know what is your foundation. It was time for these guys to press on to maturity, to move on from juggling the elementary teachings of Christ and to juggle 
uh, a more difficult teaching. You guys remember the time that Jesus is talking to the crowd, a bunch of disciples around him, and he said, unless you drink my, fle- uh, drink my blood, eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part in me. This is what he's saying. He says, my flesh is real food. <laughs> People are like, what? My flesh is real food. My blood is real drink. It says, on hearing this, many of his disciples said that this teaching is too difficult. Who can accept it? Well, we know who can accept it. We've been learning about that since January, first week of January, right? Those who have a firm foundation are able to accept it. It goes on in verse 66 and says, this is John chapter 6, by the way. It says, from that time on, many of his disciples turned back. Many of his disciples turned back and uh, no longer accompanied him. And so Jesus, as he's walking along with the 12, he says, what about you? Are you going to leave also? Is this too hard for you? Do you want to leave too? And, and Peter replied, Peter, Peter. He said, Lord, where, to whom would we go? Where, where would we go? And to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. This is Peter. Again, we know that these guys had a firm foundation and yet Jesus thought it necessary to circle back around because he was about to press them on to another level of maturity. The content was about to get intense. He said to them, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And then Jesus makes a point that I believe every believer needs to understand, no matter how strong your foundation is. You may be here and you have a super strong foundation. You've been in church since you were a bald-headed baby. You know what I mean? You've been hearing and reading in the Word and memorizing it and experiencing things in the Lord. You've been in the church so long. Your foundation is so strong. And yet, you need to hear what Jesus is saying. And you need to get this point that he is wanting us to understand. He says, blessed are you, Simon, uh, Simon Barjona. Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also pray that you are, I also say that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, some people believe that this is the moment that, that Peter got it, okay? That he got the revelation of who Jesus truly was. But I don't think it was the moment that he got it, I think it was a moment where he re got it. We've already seen how he's gotten it several times. In this moment, I think he re-got it. In other words, Peter also circled back around. And listen to what he says. You are the Christ, but he didn't stop there. You are the son of the living God. And I wish I had time to preach a, uh, an hour sermon on what the son of the living God means. All the little intricate, great, wonderful theological details because there is a lot in that statement. But let me just say this, and this is up on the screen. It was a firm foundation that caused Peter to say, you are the Christ. But it was a fresh revelation that caused Peter to say, you are the son of the living God. Let me say it again. It was a firm foundation, the foundation we know he had that caused him to say, you're the Christ. But it was a reget, a regot. It was a fresh revelation that caused Peter to say, the son of the living God, because he could have just left it. Well, you're the Christ. But he said, you're the son of the living God. I wonder how many of us 
have a firm foundation, the firm foundation, that Jesus is Lord. That's where we got that. But it's been a long time since we have had a fresh revelation that he is the King of Kings. And that he's the Lord of Lords. That he is Jehovah Jireh. He's the God who provides. That he is Jehovah Nisi. The God uh, who is our banner. The God who protects. That we've had a fresh revelation of Jehovah Uzi. That God is our strength. Or Jehovah Rapha. The God who heals. You guys hear what I'm saying? Because it's the fresh revelation of those things that inspire us to mature in our faith. To juggle something fresh. To juggle something new, to juggle something exciting, maybe even something that is exciting that is going to require a little more faith in our hearts, in our lives. You with me? When I circle back around, I'm talking about myself now, when I circle back around and my heart is reminded that God is my provider and that God is my protector, all of a sudden I have the desire for God to do greater things in my life. For God to put greater things in my hands. Do you see see what we're doing here? When I have that fresh fresh revelation, when I'm reminded in his presence that he's going to take care of me, he's going to provide for me, that he's my healer, that he's my comforter, that he's my refuge, that he's my strength, whatever it is that he might pour into you afresh the moment that you are with him. Keep these things in mind. But if I never circle back around, if I never get fresh revelation of who God is and what he's up to in my life, if I I won't grow, I'm not going to go on to maturity because a firm foundation without fresh revelation will never bear the fruit of transformation. Do you guys hear what I'm saying? I can have a firm foundation all day long. But if it's been forever since I've had a fresh revelation, that doesn't lead much for spiritual transformation, right? You remember week one that I said God's greatest desire more than anything else is for us to what? Be like his son. Remember I said Christians are supposed to look like Christ. That transformation. You read the story about um, um, uh, the Mount of Transfiguration where, where those three disciples got to see Jesus for who he really was in all of his glory. And Peter was like, I want to camp here. I, want, I, want, I, want to, I don't want to move away. I love that about Peter. Like he, he didn't want to move on from that, from that moment. Are we that way? Do we want to capture that moment? Now granted, we can't stay up in those high places all the time. We got valleys to get to and people to lead to the Lord. But what a great, in a, in a way, it's a great thought. I want to be here with Jesus forever because that's where fresh revelation comes from. I want to show you something in Luke chapter six. So turn there really quick. In Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 46, Jesus says something. We're familiar with what he says. We've read it a thousand times. It convicts us. He says, why do you call me Lord? Lord. Why do you call me Lord? Why do you call me Lord? It's in essence the same thing as saying, why do you call me Christ? Christ. Why do you say that I am the Christ? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Jesus is talking to someone who can foundationally answer, you are the Christ all day long, right? Why do you call me Lord? This is somebody that foundationally can answer that question, who is Jesus? Oh, he's the Christ all day long, but hasn't had a fresh revelation that he is the son of the living God in a very long time. Big difference. And then he says something muy importante. 
In verse 47, this is Luke chapter 6, verse 47. He says, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you what he's like. So he's talking. He says, the people that come to me and hear my words and acts on them, hey, let, me, let me show you what they're like. They are like a man building a house who dug deep, laid a foundation on the rock, and when the flood occurred, the torrent burst against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the other one who heard and has not acted accordingly is a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation and the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed. And the ruin of that house was great. Now, this conversation that Jesus is having directly connects to the conversation he was having about who do the people say that I am. And I'm actually going to share more about these two um, Verses in another connection next week. But I want you to connect the obvious thing here. And forgive me for my rhyming. If your foundation is not bearing the fruit of transformation, then you need some fresh revelation. Otherwise, your house will undergo annihilation. Did you read what it said? The ruin of that house was great. Let me say it again. If your foundation is not bearing the fruit of transformation, you're not growing, maturing, becoming more like Christ, then you need some fresh revelation. Otherwise, your house is going to undergo annihilation. Jesus said it right here. If your foundation, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Got a good foundation. But if your foundation is not bearing the fruit of transformation, what did he say? You're not doing what, you're not doing what I say. Then you need some fresh revelation. And we'll, I'll hit this one in just a second. Otherwise, your house will undergo annihilation. The ruin of that house was great. You guys do know that God has no desire whatsoever for our houses to be ruined. Man, you know what? That could almost be like a second sermon in a sentence right there. Some people need to hear that. He has no desire for your house, for your life, to be ruined, right? A great torrent is coming against the house of God. The scriptures prophesy it. There is a day when a great torrent, a great trouble, a great tribulation will come against the house of God in the not so distant future, I believe. You guys hear me talk about that all the time. This is why God wants to inspect our faith all the way down to its foundations and make sure that it is firm. In verse 48, it says that he is like a man building a house who dug deep, laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against the house, but it couldn't shake it because it had been well built. He is like a man. Like, who, who is like a man? Who is like a man that his house withheld the torrent? That his house was, who is that? Who, who is like that man? Back up to verse 47. Hopefully you're with me there in Luke chapter 6. Here's, the, here's that man. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them is that man. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you what he's like. He's like a man who built a house with a strong foundation. He invested foundationally, like we talked about last week, and his house did not come to ruin. That is the man that comes to me hears my words and acts on them. I said this a few times already this year that Jesus is the rock in this verse. We are the house. In 1 Peter it says that we are being built up as a spiritual house. 
We are told in Corinthians that, um, that th- we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. We are a place where the Holy Spirit himself, God's um, um, glory dwells inside of us. We are a temple of the Holy Spirit. We are a house. And I want you to notice, though, because this is huge, and I'm, I'm coming to a close, but I want you to notice what Jesus said the first attribute of a well-built house of God is. He says, a person, everyone that comes to me. It's the first thing he said. The person that comes to me. He doesn't say uh, everyone who came to me. Did you guys do notice the little dynamic there, right? Look at it. Look at it. It says everyone who comes to me. It doesn't say everyone who came to me. Yeah, I came to Jesus when I was 19. And man, I've been hearing the word every week, every Sunday. And I've been doing what it says for, you know, ever. I act on them words. But which words? Like, which words are you acting on? I want to ask this question. Right now in your life, which words are you acting on? The words that he spoke the day you got saved? Or maybe a year or two after you got saved? You're acting on those. Those are the words you're acting on. The things that you were doing, um, uh, what you were acting upon is what he spoke to you years ago. Like 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Did you know that he gives fresh revelation? Did you know that? But did you know that we have to get out of that? Well, I came to the Lord and be people who are coming to the Lord in the presence. In the presence comes times of uh, refreshing, fullness of joy, revelation, because it says that the Spirit leads us into all truth. This is huge. You may have a foundation and you've been building it for 30 years, 10 years, one year. But unless you continually come to him and you get fresh revelation, you just don't hang out on, yeah, he's Jesus. He's my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But there's a fresh revelation. Think about what Peter said. He is the son of the living and active involved God who is constantly wanting to upgrade us from hacky sacks to chainsaws (laughs) or at least maybe double-edged swords greater portions of his word he has more for us to be and more for us to do but if we are still hanging out, out on what he spoke to us or did in us all those years ago, we are not going to grow in our maturity. And that's what Paul means when he says in Hebrews 6, let us move away from the elementary teachings of Christ. Those things that you should have down by now. We shouldn't have to lay another foundation. We've got to press on to maturity. You won't even have that desire unless you've been in the presence of the Lord and he has inspired you with all these wonderful names these attributes that we know he is, he's providing you. Listen, when I know, again, when I know that he's my provider and he's my protector, I'm going to step out there. I'm going to press on to something new, something fresh. If you haven't stepped out into something new and fresh for years and years and years, there is a chance that you may not believe that God is your provider or that he is your protector. If that's the case, guess what? Maybe you have some foundation, but it's been a while since you've had fresh Revelation. He's the son of the living God. And think about what we're, in essence, saying when we are not active in him. We might say on one side of our mouth that he's the Christ, but on the other saying that Jesus is the son of the dead God. 
That's not what Peter said. He is a son of the living God. If I could give this to you real simply, I would just say this. Who is the man who builds his house on the rock? The first thing is he's the person who comes to Jesus often. We say this a lot and we we talk about the condition of the church, the church at large, the church of Jesus Christ upon this earth, especially in America. And we get frustrated with what we see in the church. We get frustrated with the hypocrisy, the lack of righteousness, um, those things that we talked about week one. You can go back and listen. But you know why we're seeing that? Because people are not coming to the Lord often. They came to him once. Maybe they were saved, but they hadn't come to him again since. Or maybe it's been a year. Or maybe it's been a month. I'm not, someone, I'm not somebody that's got to say that you've got to you know, wake up every morning at 4 o'clock and you've got to have your two-hour quiet time. That's not what I'm saying. But if you're not coming to the Lord often, then you're not often hearing his voice. And the second thing is to be a person who hears Jesus' words, like we're hearing him. We're not tuning a, turning a deaf ear. We're listening. What are you saying? Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today? What, what, what are you saying to me today or this week or this year? And the third thing is that we are people who actually act on what Jesus says on his words, on his written word, what we read in here. And I truly believe, because I've experienced it, that when we are in the presence of uh, the living God, (laughs) we're in the presence of Jesus and the Holy Spirit is, is being the comforter and the counselor and the guide to truth that he is, that he will speak to us. There's a lot of people in the church that don't even believe that God speaks to me anymore. I think that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. One of the things that sets us apart from all the other beasts of the field is our ability to communicate intelligently. Why would the one who created us with the ability to communicate intelligently not intelligently communicate with us? Are you hearing what I'm saying? Let's stand. God's doing something this year in us. And I think it's a preparatory work. At the very least, he's preparing each and every one of us individually for what he is calling us to next. Maybe you are a father that he is calling you to something new and fresh for your family. Maybe he's calling your family into a new and fresh season of obedience. Maybe he's um, calling you something different in your work. Who knows? Maybe he's calling our church to something different new and fresh that we've got to be prepared for. At the very least, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt because scripture confirms is that he is preparing us to be the bride that he is going to return for. Amen?